Black holes are one of those things that has captured the minds of the public for decades. Pop culture is steeped in references to black holes and its famous event horizon. But what exactly is a black hole? And how do you create one? And the biggie, what happens when you fall into one? All this and more on today's episode of Yet Another Science Show. Stay tuned. From Cambridge, Massachusetts, I'm Orad Russia. And from Montreal, Quebec, I'm Jesse Corbet. And you're listening to Yet Another Science Show, Episode 2, Black Holes Don't Suck. Yeah, and today on the program, we'll be talking about black holes, um, just what they are, how they come about, and what they do. So, Orad, for our listeners, just what is a black hole? Um, so, a black hole is uh, a mathematical solution to Einstein's uh, equations on relativity. And what they describe is a point in space where... Uh, you have so much mass that gravity is so strong that nothing can escape it. Uh, and in fact, even light, which moves at the speed of light, is not fast enough to escape the gravitational field of a black hole. So that's kind of where the name black hole came from. It's black. You can't even see it. There's no light coming out of it. Right. So what we're talking about is a point of extreme gravity. And what I find weird about that is we can describe a planet by its mass, its geology, what it looks like if it's in our solar system, chemical makeup, you know, spectra, all kinds of things, but for black holes, there's what? There's three things. There's mass, there's spin, and what is it? Charge. Yeah, mass, spin, and charge. Um, this, but there's no volume. Uh, that's that's what kind of weirds me out. Right. Uh, so a black hole is defined by its singularity at the middle. So at the very center of a black hole, nobody knows what happens. There's a, a mathematical point the right. size of nothing, literally the size of nothing, uh, and nobody knows what it is. Um, and another feature of a black hole is what people call the event horizon, uh, and it describes kind of the point of no return of the black hole. If you're outside of the event horizon, you could still theoretically escape the black hole, but once you're inside, provided you're going once you're fast inside, enough. exactly. Once you're inside, you can't get out. The reason you can actually describe a black hole based on those three things. So again, we'll tell, we'll repeat them. It's mass, charge, and the angular momentum or the spin, are because those are the three things you can measure from outside of a black hole. Did you know that? That is the reason. It, it's this is called the no hair theorem. All black holes are identical as long as they have these. If they have these three things the same, the black holes are indistinguishable to people. And the way you can tell them apart is so the mass you can tell apart by, you know, how another planet orbits around it. For example, just like you can tell the mass of the sun. That's how we know how heavy the sun is. The charge something similar. You can yeah. put something charged around it and see how it's attracted or repelled. Uh, and the spin is a bit more uh, complicated. How you can calculate that, but. There's a, an effect called frame dragging, and you can measure that as well. But other than those three things, you can't tell anything about a black hole. You don't know what's inside of it. You can pour gallons and gallons of milk inside the black hole. You will never know that it's filled with milk. There's nothing to tell you what it is. Right. So that makes them, that makes so, them unique in the spectrum of all the things in the universe. The singularity where mathematics breaks down entirely. Uh, and you know people say this, this signifies the breakdown of the theory. You have an event horizon, so you can't even look inside because of the event horizon. There's nothing else like this in the universe. This is really unique. It's one thing of a kind. But even at the event horizon, if the black hole is, like, the speed you need to get away, like, okay, for instance, the escape velocity of Earth is, what is it, 11 kilometers a second, I think? It's something right? attainable, because we have um, rockets, right? Yeah, and, but, like, if you're, say you've got a, a super, okay, like a black hole that's whatever, say, um... 100 times the, the mass of our sun, just at the event horizon, it's going to have a very, very fast um, escape velocity. But 
you know, it's, I guess, mathematically possible. But the bigger the black hole is, the faster that still has to be or it's, not. It's the event horizon is the point at which the escape velocity is the speed of light. Right. So I guess your question is kind of as you go deeper inside the event horizon, how fast does the escape like the escape velocity goes up? Yeah. And well, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sort of thinking just outside it if the black hole is much much bigger, is the escape velocity going to be much much bigger? I I'm assuming it is because I think that escape velocity say to get away from Jupiter will be bigger than the right. moon. Yeah. Um I mean if it's kind of complicated to answer that, like to talk about that, because all we know is what we can see outside the event horizon. So out, outside the event horizon, it's the speed of light, you know, and inside the event horizon, no one's been there. Like nobody could tell you anything about what's inside there. Yeah, it may as well be undoable. Well, it is undoable. Yeah. So anything that we could, you know. Yeah. Build. They have pretty good models. So, you know, the, the math behind the black hole has a pretty good description of what it looks like inside a black hole. But, I mean, we can't measure that. We have no idea. We really don't know. No, we have no right? Idea. So everything except the singularity is, is solved. Like, they know exactly what it looks like, but they don't know what to do about it. Right. Okay, I mean, from enough. there, I guess we can talk about, I mean, it's, it's fun to talk about the math of the black hole, but are there really any black holes? Like, where do they come from? Right? And for a long time, people didn't know. There were bets about this kind of thing. Did you hear about this? Uh, I have this written down here. You know who Stephen Hawking is, right? Of course. So Stephen Hawking, actually, uh, in the 70s, he had a bet with a fellow colleague of his, um, a, a fellow named Kip Thorne, who was also a famous physicist. And uh, Stephen Hawking, he, he kind of had like this bet, like an insurance bet. He bet Kip Thorne that black holes didn't exist. You know, he did a lot of work on it. Like entire his entire career was based on black holes existing and their properties. But, but he said, right. you know what? I bet you they don't exist. Um, and then eventually they, you know, they decided that, that they do exist, I guess, you know, they, they decided to exist. So he won the bet. Well, you, you know, what's funny about all this stuff is that like th the knowledge keeps changing, right? I'm just thinking about in 2009, I think it's Andrea Getz. I, I think I've got that name right. Andrea Getz gave a TED talk in which she posited that supersized black holes exist at the center of galaxies, right? But she had a pretty good idea that they do. Now we're sitting here at, you know, in 2013, and they've measured the sizes of different super black holes. So like, Yeah, they even say there's got to be a super black hole in the center of every single galaxy nowadays. Every major sized galaxy, yeah. I guess that's what I find exciting about like astronomy right now, is that it's like everything is opening up. Like Our, our understanding of the universe keeps changing. I guess, I mean, all the math behind black holes was figured out quite a while ago. Uh, this is funny. Einstein's theory of relativity, so general relativity that deals with gravity and stuff, that came out in 1915. And only yeah. three or four months later, like within the same year, Schwarzschild solved the solution for, you know, what would be a black hole. So kind of uh, a round, spherical, non-rotating, big, massive thing in this empty space. Like it took him only six months to do that. So we've, we've known mathematically how black holes should behave for like 100 years. Actually, you know, it's, it's cool that you brought up uh, the Schwarzschild radius because what's cool about that, again, Andrea Getz was saying that everything has... Oh, yeah. Them. Isn't that funny? It's just like for me or you, it's smaller than the nucleus of an atom. Yeah. Kind of, I, I, whereas for something the size of the sun is whatever, three kilometers across. It, it's like, the you know, the idea that no matter what object you have, if you can compress it to the point where gravity takes over everything else, you're going to create a tiny little black hole. I could make a Jesse black hole if I could just squish you down small enough. If you could just... And I think that's really cool because it really... It's like what Neil deGrasse Tyson keeps banging on about, right? It's like you and I and supernovae and moons and asteroids and everything 
are completely linked. Like we're all part of one huge machine. We're all made of the same stuff. We're all star stuff. Everyone's got a swish, like even a, a sugar cube. I found it very exciting. I thought it was <laughs> very cool. You know. Hey, you know what Stephen Hawking had to pay out for his bet, by the way, when he decided that he lost the bet? You know what he had to pay out for it? Uh, no. Yeah, he made, so his bed was with Kip Thorne, and they yeah. both agreed that they were 80% sure black holes existed. So there was a four to one odds. So if Stephen Hawking wins, that is, so if black holes don't exist, he would win four years to a subscription to the magazine called Private Eye. And if okay. Kip Thorne wins, then he gets one, so it's four to one odds, one year right. of Penthouse. <laughs> so that's no i didn't know yeah that. The, i think hawking is quoted saying something like uh yeah i kind of really wanted to do it just to upset his wife really just to get him in trouble with his wife more so than anything <laughs> that's pretty funny actually yeah, man like physicists have good sense of humor i think like we we you know when we get to talking about particles and the names of particles and stuff we're gonna have good laughs on how they come up with names for those things yeah um oh but it's funny that you mentioned that that stephen hawking was against the well his philosophy was that they didn't exist because, I mean, Hawking radiation, right? Which I'm sure we'll get to later. But I mean, it's it's funny how even like how I was saying how our understanding of science keeps changing, but how even big name like big ticket physicists. Well, no, he he thought that he he leaned towards them existing, but he said it was an insurance policy for him if they didn't exist. Oh, I see. Okay, at least he'll be consoled by four years of private eye. Four years of private <laughs> eye. Okay, fair enough. Well, you know, so like we know what a black hole is when it's sitting there. And and like we know that, you know, there are there are supers in the middle of all these of all the larger galaxies and some of them are are active, right? They're they're actively taking in stuff and some of them are quiescent like ours, Sagittarius A in the middle of Milky Way. It's it's quiescent. It's not doing anything. Although there's a apparently there's a a gas cloud on its way to a, a meeting at the end of this year, give or take. So we might actually see something interesting. There. I saw that in the news earlier. People are excited that they're going to see a black hole actually suck stuff up. And well, and it's performing. ours. It's ours. You know, it, it's it's ours. It's at the middle of our galaxy. So I, I'm a little excited about it. <laughs> um, so the way they 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 come about is, I mean, we're talking about collapsing stars here, but we're not talking about just every every size of collapsing star right like our sun is never going to be a black hole. yeah no unless unless right. we all fall into it and make it massive enough it's not going to and make it much. huge yeah and is that where the chandrasekhar limit uh, comes in is that chandrasekhar yeah a very famous physicist he worked out um that you need a minimum amount of mass i mean the way the way stars usually work right is they have kind of a minimum volume just based on their own pressures and you know nuclear stuff going on so yeah. they're going to be a, a typical size and they will slowly gain mass from other stars and, and gas clouds and stuff adhering to them and stuff. So at some point, you'd expect them to have enough mass that it's below the Schwarzschild limit, the Schwarzschild radius. So what Chandrasekhar well, worked but, out... But that's if... Because we're talking about a constant a constant battle between the forces of gravity and the outward pressure of, a, let's face it, a huge freaking nuclear explosion. So in a star, yeah, in a star, you've got like nuclear explosions pushing it apart. And so that's that's yeah. called just typical like thermal pressure. That's just what holds stars apart all the time. Chandrasekhar yeah. said, you know what? When a star gets to about the size of, you know, one and a half solar masses, then thermal pressure won't be enough. It'll have to collapse. It'll have to, you know, collapse into a point. It's not going to be able to hold itself up. And he actually met a lot of opposition, uh, most notably, uh, I think, the famous physicist Eddington, um, who we'll talk about when we give a big, we'll do an episode on general relativity and we'll talk about him. Eddington said, no, that's not going to work. Something else is going to keep it apart. It's going to hold it up. Yeah. And 
you know, he, he, it turns out he was right. What ended up happening is these stars would turn into white dwarf stars. And what would hold it apart would be the electron degeneracy pressure. To, to right. talk for a second about what electron degeneracy pressure is, there's this thing called the Pauli exclusion principle. A lot of people learn about it when they take high school chemistry. And what it says is no two electrons can be identical. And identical means they can't be in the same place in an atom. They can't be in the same space and time. They can't have identical spins. Each electron has to be unique in its own way. Um, I'm right. simplifying, of course, but when you take a bunch of electrons and you try to squish them together, at some point you hit you, you break against this limit. It's like, okay, look, I can't be here. There's another electron right there. And I have to stress, this isn't like an electric repulsion force. This is just, this is a more fundamental quantum thing. You know, quantumly, okay. two electrons can't be that close together or they'll, they'll take the same spot and that's not allowed. So if you have something that's above 1.5 or 1.44 solar masses, then they'll turn into a white dwarf star and the electron degeneracy pressure will hold it apart. But what if you get even more mass than that? Like after a point, the gravity isn't stronger than that, right, Jess? Yeah. Well, I'm, what I'm thinking is, I'm not sure if I got this right, but in order for a star to collapse into a black hole, it has to be 20 times the mass. Right. Ours? So then, so then, it, so then it goes up and up. So actually, when right. you get to above 1.4, you get a white dwarf star. When you get right. to about three or four, then even the electron pressure isn't enough, but you still have neutron degeneracy pressure. So neutrons right. follow the same so rule. Neutron star. So you get a neutron star. But then when you get even above that in limit, then nothing can hold it apart. Then you get a black hole. The black hole. So it's actually like three to four uh, solar masses. When a star gets to about three or four solar masses, then it turns into a black hole. Um, this is known as the Tolman-Oppenheimer-Volkoff limit. I, I just looked it up as we were talking about it. And that is the point at which the Pauli exclusion principle, even for neutrons, isn't strong enough to keep a star open and alive. It has to turn into a black hole, collapse into a black hole. Okay, you know what? There's something that I feel we have to talk about right here, and it's it's the infinity question. Because, Orad, you and I have known each other a long time, and we've <laughs> talked about infinity, and you know that it really creeps me out. I I, I mean, yeah, I, I remember, so you were talking about infinity, like, I remember something about irrational numbers. Oh, like how, irrational numbers too, man. <laughs> like how how pi has an infinite number of digits, and you can always just add another one and add another one. Yeah, yeah, and it never ends. I'm like, what's up with that? I, you know, and <laughs> and so like whenever I read about uh, no, man, so I remember when I learned about like in, when you when you learn calculus, you learn about like limits and infinity. I also remember being like, hey, that that's not true. Like, <laughs> you can't divide. That doesn't work. No limit. You can't go to infinity. At some point, it'll not. And then everyone's like, it's just a limit, man. It's just keep going. Like that. That's where it's trending to. Like infinity means you're trending to there, but I, Jesse. You're I kind of feel that there. once you get to that aspect of everything. You may as well be talking about magic. Do you know what I'm saying? Because like it, it makes that little sense to me, and I get the same feeling whenever I'm I'm reading about like neutron stars or, or white dwarfs or or black holes. It's like this is the end state of a star. I'm like that's the end state. So a white dwarf <laughs> is going to sit there forever. Yeah. And, and you know a black hole, even when it goes quiescent and it's not sucking anything in, it's just gonna sit there. You know, and but as as I was reading about this, though, I, I was reading about, you know, when 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 Hawking went to Russia and came back and started talking about how, no, um, black holes can and given enough time will eventually evaporate. Um, and is that's where the what is that? The, the Hawking radiation? Is that what we're talking about there? Yeah. The ha famous Hawking radiation, Stephen Hawking, you know, the famous 
Um, I, I think everyone knows Lou who Bear, Stephen Hawking disease. is. Yeah, yeah, everyone knows who he is. Um, that that is kind of the thing named after him that he's most famous for in popular cultures: the Hawking radiation. Uh, its radiation is just light, right? So it's the stuff that a black hole emits. And that's kind of strange, right, Jess? Like, didn't we start off the show saying that black holes are black by the very reason that light does not escape black holes? Like, black holes, it, nothing can escape. Nothing travels faster than the speed of light, and stuff moving at the speed of light can't even escape. So where does radiation come from? So what's with the radiation? Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of a beautiful solution, actually. Uh, what causes the Hawking radiation is, if you look at any patch of vacuum, like anywhere in space, like you look at anything... There's constantly like a mess of particles popping in and popping out. And as long as they don't interact with anything, they effectively don't exist. And so they're called virtual particles. Just hanging out there. Yeah, they're called virtual particles. Okay. And virtual particles are, are like a real thing. Like I'm not like making this up. This is the kind of thing people use these in other processes all the time. Like for example, um, a whole bunch of laser processes would work if virtual, pro- virtual particles didn't exist. Like this is the thing that happens. But they don't interact with anything directly. You could never, like, pluck one out of the sky and be like, hey, look, this was not here a second ago, and now it's here. That violates the conservation of energy and mass, right? That You can't do that. Right. However... Wait, wait, wait. It, it violates the conservation... Oh, what do you mean? Well, I mean, there was no particle, and then one popped, here, one popped in, right? Right, that, just out of nowhere. Yeah, okay. that that's not allowed, right? right. Conservation of mass. Where, where did it come from? Oh, nowhere. The vacuum. Like, that, you can't do that. So as long as it disappears as quickly as it came in, that's fine. Right. And the way the Heisenberg uncertainty principle works is the bigger the thing that pops in, it can stay for a shorter amount of time. So you can have all the time little things that last you know, relatively long, or you can have for like the shortest blip of a second something very like massive appear. But, but it's only on this like really tiny quantum scale that we don't get to see on a day-to-day. Okay. You know? so, but are, are we talking about like unknown molecules, or are we talking about things that are on the table? Like electrons and protons and the stuff okay, that just like all right. yeah man the stuff that makes up everything everything we have you know yeah. and so now this is you you know unusual life you're not allowed but however in the presence of a black hole which is one of the most extreme physical things in the universe uh, you could have a virtual particle be okay wait you said one of I'm trying to think of something more extreme than a black hole uh. You're putting me on the spot here. I mean, the Big Bang was pretty extreme, right? But yeah, not, but... Okay, I guess it's, okay. it's not a thing, I guess. Um, <laughs> I think that the Big Bang, you know, gets a hall pass on this one. <laughs> you know? if, if there was a Big Bang. If oh, there was. Stirring the pot with controversy. Uh-huh. I, I see show. what you're doing there. But, um, I don't so know. So we got these, po- these molecules, these particles. These particles just, like, uh, pop in and pop out. But when they're next to a black hole's event horizon... So suppose... You know, every particle that appears would show up with its antiparticle, for example. You know, it wouldn't, okay. it wouldn't appear by itself. So what do you think will happen if these two particles appear right next to the event horizon? Right? Remember, the event horizon, anything that goes in there will never come out. Okay, but are they straddling the event horizon, like one's in and one's out? Suppose, yeah. I mean, it's bound to happen. Because, I mean, I think that's, that's pretty obvious, right? The one that's in just disappears in further and further inwards and the one that's out i guess if it's moving fast enough it sort of that's it yeah the one that's out away. the one that's out has a chance to leave so do this yeah. enough times and because of conservation of mass if the one that appeared is more massive right like so let's put it this way we start off we have just a black hole then yeah. two particles appear and one particle leaves the black hole and has some amount of mass yeah if you have a conservation of mass is supposed to be held, which is one of the most fundamental beliefs, you know, conservation of energy is one of the pillars of physics. Yeah. You have to have equal amount of mass all around. What do you think happens to the mass of the black hole? It's got to go down, right? Okay. 
And so this is well. Wait, wait, wait. Does it have to go down? Because it has to. two particles are appearing. Unless yeah, so one has negative mass, my friend. Oh right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Anti. Yeah. It's got. It's got to have something to balance out the equation. You can't just have stuff appear out of nowhere. It's not yeah. allowed. Okay. I get so it. so that is kind of where the mass of a black hole will go down. So I mean, it's not really infinite, right? I mean, it's long time finite, right? It's yeah. like it's yeah. nearly infinite. I mean, I, I know. I imagine it's it's probably billions of years. Well, but... one of the things I was reading is that it. it will take long enough for these larger black holes to evaporate that in a non-infinite universe, it will take longer than the amount of time left to the universe. So it's kind of like, for argument's sake, it's infinite anyway. But I mean, I find it um, comforting to know that there is an end. (laughs) (laughs) Once we're long gone. gone. Once we're long gone, in the future, no longer lives on the planet. Yeah, some black hole somewhere will finally die. We'll finally, you will be at peace wherever you are at rest. Oh, but much smaller black holes evaporate much faster, right? Yeah, they have less mass to speak of, so it'll disappear faster. Which is how the Large Hadron Collider hasn't destroyed the planet. Oh, that that was so funny when they were going to turn on the uh, the Large Hadron Collider, which is you know, and everyone was terrified that they were going to you know blow up the Earth. Or right. Isn't that, so that was their thinking, like in all pop culture shows and stuff, what a black hole does is it sucks you in, right? Like you see the that typical thing on Stargate where like yeah. there's a black hole and then someone's like holding the bars and being held vertically because it's sucking them in so yeah. hard, right? That that doesn't, you know, we should talk about what happens when you fall into a black hole because I, I think it'll surprise a lot of our listeners. I'm getting but, the feeling that Hollywood got this one wrong too. They did, yeah. Uh, okay. Shall we Shall we venture into this space? Let's talk about it. So. Okay. What, Jesse, I throw you into a black hole. What do you think happens to you? I get pulled into a string of spaghetti and then oh, I yeah, you eventually did your homework. get pulled yeah, apart. So, so you die is the first what? thing that happens. Okay. All right, yeah, all right. And, and so I you thought the dying like... sort of went without saying or at. I thought that was sort of, sort of that's a basic <laughs> building block to this scenario here. But... Well, at what point do you die? Like, so as you go through the event horizon, like to you, nothing happened. You're just falling. Right. right? It's like you're falling towards a star. Okay. You'd think like the event horizon is really the point where where it's point of no return, but no, right? You just you fall through the event horizon, and you're just falling and falling, and and now you're never gonna leave. That's what that means, right? Um. So yeah, the spaghetti, the spaghettification. I actually just learned about this this week. The spaghettification thing. Okay. <laughs> right. Like, do you've heard about it before? I didn't know that they used the word spaghettification. Yeah, I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about it. So nice. what Good spaghettification is? Do you, do you know what causes spaghettification, Jess? Uh, I just assume that, like, you know, a rubber band, right? The more you pull on it, the thinner it gets. But why are you being pulled? This is the question. So, Oh, oh, I know why. I know why. Uh-huh. But I'm probably wrong. Because <laughs> the gravity at my feet is stronger than the gravity at my head? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like, I think it's crazy black that holes, I got gravity... That right. Well, maybe <laughs> you have the makings of a true physicist, Jesse. <laughs> But yeah, the gravity of your feet is stronger than gravity at your head. So you're you're ripped into two, right? Like it's just like okay. bah in a piece. And yeah. then the gravity at the bottom of your feet is stronger than the gravity at the top of your feet. So that's ripped into two. And then, you know, over and over until you're just a, you, you become a string of particles like, like molecules. Okay. <laughs> which uh, you know, these are called tidal forces. It's the same thing like the moon pulling on the tides yeah. of the ocean. It's the same kind of force. Uh, I think it's also the same kind of force that created the rings of Saturn, right? They turned it into like a thin string around uh, Saturn. Interesting. Same kind of thing. It's just it didn't pull it in into a single string of spaghetti. It just became a, a ring. Right. Because let's face it, orbit, it's all based on, you know, gravity. Yeah. 
Exactly. It's all based on the same thing. Oh, so, so I guess you're not going to fall directly into the black hole. You're going to sort of follow a spiral then. Well, it depends who's looking at it. Depends on how. Okay. So, okay. Let's, so you're falling in. Suppose you are made of this unphysical thing and you don't turn into spaghetti. So you just stay alive and you get to witness the whole thing. So what happens? So I'm God. So I'm a God. You're a God, right? God. Well, you're already a God, but yeah, it, God. so then you fall into the black hole. You go through the event horizon, and you, you wave at the you know nothing happens, and then you keep falling, you keep falling, and then eventually you hit the singularity point in the middle, and then nobody knows what happens. You you should be you know compact into a single point of volume zero. Like nobody knows what happens there. Right. That that's an open question in physics because it's. You're pitting, you know, relativity against quantum-sized stuff, so nobody knows what happens there. Okay, but what happens to me? I'm looking at you. I see you falling towards the black hole. What do I see? So this is an interesting thing. So for you, you're falling in in a matter of seconds. You're like, oh, I'm right. falling and I'm gone, right? Yeah. But for me, from where I'm standing, I see that you are falling in slower and slower due to time moving at different rates close and away from a black hole. Oh, really? This is like... Not simple stuff, right? No. So, whereas for you, it takes mere moments. I see you falling. It takes you eternity to fall into the black hole. In fact, you never hit the event horizon. Really? Yeah. You slowly fall, slowly, 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 forever. Huh. And then eventually, the light that bounces off you, that enables me to see you. Yeah. Suppose you're holding a flashlight as you're falling and you point it at me. It just disappears. It doesn't disappear. It slowly gets redshifted and redshifted because also light that escapes a black hole gets redshifted. So if it was, you know, blue light, it'll slowly turn green, then yellow, then red. And then it becomes infrared. And then I don't see you anymore. And then I need special cameras to see you. And then I can't see you at all. And you never fell into the event horizon. Like at the rate you're going, you never fall in. Wow, that's really... Yeah, I love that, like, moment of dead silence and understanding. That's crazy, huh? That's, that's really yes, yes. That, that is, is that is. So one one of the things about rel, like Einstein's relativity is that time is not the same for everybody. So for you, you're looking back at me and you see me never disappearing either until I slowly get redshifted and redshifted, or is it blue shifted and blue shifted? I have to look into that. But it's the same thing. Like for you, if you had a telescope and you could look at me, it would yeah. take forever for anything to happen to me. I I would be dead and nothing but molecules. Oh well, you'd certainly be dead and a string of spaghetti. Yeah. But interesting huh cool stuff huh yeah actually that's very very interesting <laughs> yeah i mean relativity's got a lot of like really weird stuff that doesn't make sense and that, that's like one of the best ones um but suppose you turn into a string of spaghetti and you're inside of a black hole right yeah i can no longer see that you're in there right so you're inside the black hole and then like we said black holes have no hair you are your black hole is now indistinguishable from another black hole where some other person fell into right yeah and so this information was kind of lost. Like, I kind of can't tell what fell inside the black hole. Was it, you know, a person? Was it another star? Was it a gallon of milk? Like, I don't know. The information's gone. Yeah. And this led to what's known as the information loss paradox. And maybe, maybe like, information being lost to you doesn't mean anything, but this is kind of a distressing thing since information is this quantifiable substance in physics so you have entropy and entropy is kind of a measure of information as well okay so just like how we have you know the conservation of mass and mass just can't appear like information just like disappearing from the universe is 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 weird you know but would it really disappear or would it just be in the black like being in the black hole doesn't mean disappear well i guess we don't really know but to me it just means that there's more and more information sort of glomming on to the center of the black hole 
I don't, I don't know. I, like, like, to me, it would be adding to the mass of the black hole. What's the difference between a black hole having information you can't access it and a black hole not having information then? It's like... Oh, I see. So, okay, for, for the purpose of this of this argument, then, being inaccessible means not existing. It may as well. Well, I you know what? Nobody nobody knows. There's no answer to this. Right. This is... Okay. This, if, if information is really lost, you know, you would have the violation of conservation of energy. And again, that's one of the again. pillars of physics. We can't violate that, you know. So we don't know. Um, and lucky for us, uh, Stephen Hawking has another bet with Kip Thorne that they made in 1997 on the topic. And um, Thorne and Hawking, at this point, they agree, actually, and they're betting with a third person. So it's known as the Thorne-Hawking-Preskill bet. And uh, Thorne and Hawking, they bet that the radiation that comes out from Hawking radiation, yeah, that it does not carry information about what's inside the black hole. Oh, interesting. But Preskill argues that, no, you know what? The information that comes out of the black hole, like the radiation, that's information. And so there's no violation of energy, right? There's no violation of conservation of energy. Okay. So, and the, But the other two are essentially arguing about a violation. That's right. Huh. Who do you side with? I don't have an opinion in this. I have no idea, right? I, I like to think conservation of energy can never be violated, but... You know, that's a dangerous thing to say, like something will never happen. Well, a lot of the rules in, in science are not as permanent as, you know, like everything is everyone's happy with a specific rule. And then along comes a paradigm shift. Maybe right? this is it. Maybe this is the one. I mean, a black hole is definitely the kind of extreme case that could break this kind of rule. Yeah. Huh. Like conservation of energy stands the test of every experiment you can throw at it. Anything at the LHC, like all of those, like yeah. no one bats an eyelash at it. But a black hole? I don't know. Maybe. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't know about that. Yeah, so they made the bet in 1997, and this time the 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 bet, you know, the wager was less crass, I guess. Um, they bet the winner gets the encyclopedia of their choice, <laughs> better than a subscription to Penthouse, maybe. I don't know. We can Absolutely. argue about that. Um, and actually, in 2004, Hawking he conceded. He said that he lost, and he bought um, Preskill a baseball encyclopedia. A baseball encyclopedia. Yeah. So he so Hawking actually says that. You know, someone said he argued that he lost. So that is information. The ra- the Hawking radiation does have is, information, yeah. but this isn't widely accepted yet at all. In fact, um, his his co bet or um, Thorn doesn't agree yet. Kip Thorn doesn't agree. So it's still kind of up in the air. But it's a really deep question in physics right now. Well, and it it's got to be deep. If I mean, we're we're not talking about uh, three nobodies, right? We're talking about guys whose that's right brains are extremely attuned to this kind of stuff. So if they can't agree. I'm never going to know, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, that's right. M- most yeah. most people are just, I, granted, it's the kind of question that most people are never even going to care about, but it's still... Uh, I'm hoping to care about it. Otherwise, why are they listening to our show? Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> man. Like, this is, this is like, isn't our goal? This is our goal, to get people to care about it. But. No, no, but I'm, I'm sort of referring back to, to something else that we've referred to before, that like, how at a certain point, the rules that people are arguing about to the person on the street is is like arguing about how many angels will dance on the head of a pin. Okay. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, yeah, very yeah, yeah. smart people in, in, in lab coats <laughs> are, are arguing about this, but like to the bus driver on the street or the, you know, the, the English student or, or whatever, it sort of takes on like a, a rarefied air of academia, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Although I, I'm not it would saying... make all headlines, right? This kind of thing is the type of thing like, like, um, like when the they Higgs? found out that, like, for example, the Higgs, I was going to say when they found out neutrinos could be going faster than the speed of light, yeah. that was on the front page of every newspaper in the world. Yeah. I mean, even if people don't understand it, they understand that it's a big shift. So, Yeah, well, th- these are big, like, mediagenic shifts. 
you know, and, and I think that that one about the black hole might be, if they ever answer it, that, that would probably be a big mediagenic event. Mediagenic. Well. Yeah. And we're going to cover it. You and, and I, we're going to cover it. You and me. So finally, uh, I wanted to talk about something that I didn't know about until this week. These are called white holes, white, white hole. holes. Yeah. And so for the listener, and so, what's uh, a white hole, <laughs> so let, let, let's look at it this way. Jesse, what's the square root of nine? I don't know that. I failed math every year in high school. Okay, come on. Work with me here. What, what times what? What times itself gives you nine? Oh, three. Three, right. Yeah. Um, in fact, there are two solutions. So there's three. And what's the other one? Can you think of it on the spot? No. Min minus three, right? Minus three times minus three gives you nine? It also gives you nine. Right. That's right. Okay, makes sense. So if you ever have a square root somewhere, you can always have a second solution to something. And usually they're unphysical. So what I mean by that is not that it can't exist in real life, but it doesn't necessarily apply to the situation here. And the best analogy I can think of about that is if you were to throw a baseball and you know that it goes, you know, 10 meters away and it goes five meters high, then you can calculate how long it takes to get to its landing spot ahead of you. But a second solution will always be how long it would take to get to your hand from the ground behind you. It's just, it's a mathematical artifact. And we know that you didn't throw the ball behind you, you threw it in front of you, but it's not a physical to think that you could throw it behind you and it would take that amount of time. That's kind of... It's, it's, it's essentially just finishing the arc. Is, is, am I... It's exactly, it's okay. exactly it. Yeah, it's exactly it. Right. So white holes are one of those things that mathematically, I guess there's nothing wrong with them. It's just how can we physically create one? Oh, and of course, so what it is, so it being its own solution, what it is is just like how a black hole has an event horizon where anything that falls in can never leave yeah. a white hole has the opposite property of that anything that's inside must leave okay nothing has an escape velocity too low to leave a white hole right and so, so theoretically these things evaporate in no time i guess or maybe they're really massive and they take a long i don't know i mean they don't exist as far as we know it's the end of the curve it's the end of the arc like with the baseball essentially yeah it's just really a, mathematical it's a mathematical artifact right the way black holes are created these days with like a gravitational collapse, um, yeah. these things don't get created. White holes don't get created, even though they're like one and the same in the solution. Okay. But one interesting thing that I read about these white holes is by this mathematical proof anyway, any white hole has a matching black hole. Right. And between them is another singularity point between them. Okay. So every all the whole space between a black hole and white hole is kind of separated into like white hole domain and black hole domain and in the middle is another singularity okay okay and if you're inside the black hole regime you can never leave if you're inside the white hole regime you must leave and then outside of those two things you have two separate universes okay okay so this is kind of alternative suppose universe. you're in one universe i know this is this is really wishy-washy right but say you're in one universe yeah. and then you fall into the black hole then somehow you, you can pop out of the white hole in another universe. And this is the first incarnation of wormholes. This is where wormholes come from. Right. This is getting a little Hollywood. But this is real. This is real. Like, I mean, okay. I it, mean, it, no, it's mathematically It's real. mathematically it's real, right. Okay. I don't know if there's one in the sky, but mathematically, this is like a legitimate thing you can talk about with your friends. White holes. Tell your friends. Uh, okay, I'll tell them. I'll black tell holes them get all, all the press. You know, black holes get all the press. Maybe it's because they exist. Better PR, maybe. Right. So I guess I have nothing else to add about black holes. If anyone has anything to say, you can call us or write us. Uh, on that note, let's go to our mailbag segment. Is any, is any, is anybody listening? 
This week we have an email from CU from Toronto, and she's writing to say, "Did you hear about the leader? How we write it with a capital, as we do with other units named after people? Apparently, some guys at Waterloo University made up a biography for a French scientist called Claude Leader or something like that as a joke, and he got it published, but people took it seriously. So I guess this is kind of a、uh, a rehash of our our previous episode about the meter." Uh, we're talking about funny units and stuff, and so she decided to write it. So thanks to you, she's right. I looked this up, and in fact, there was、uh, a piece by Ken A. Woolner of the University of Waterloo in 1978, and it was essentially a bio of Claude Emile Jean Baptiste Litre, who、oh, was, lived from 1716 to 1778, and it essentially gives his life story. Saying that he was born on February twelfth, seventeen sixteen, in the heart of the Medoc region of France. His father was a mag- manufacturer of wine bottles. His so grandfather is, was this great- a real person, Jesse? Was this a real person? No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. They didn't even attribute it to a person that did that existed. Like this guy never existed. This guy was completely fictitious. He was written <laughs> as a joke for the April issue in nineteen seventy eight. And it turns out that some people did, in fact, think that this guy was real. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess the reason it's uppercase is because if you had a lowercase L for leader, then that that would look like a one, right? So if you had fifteen leaders, it might just say one fifty one. The metric system demands that capital letters happen when it's named after someone. So, anyways, it's just a funny little anecdote. Okay,、um, so thank you, CU, for that letter.、Um, you guys can all write us at emails at yetanothersignshow dot com if you're interested. A few corrections about last episode.、Um, I since listening to it over, I realized I made a mistake. We we're talking about the kilogram prototype in Paris, talking about how it's losing weight over time as you compare it to other prototypes around the world. And my argument was it had some kind of evaporation and decay or something. Turns out, no, you know, the kilogram is gaining weight, not losing it. And how's it? How's it gaining weight? Well. For some reason, they don't store this thing in a vacuum. They store it like in air, so all the particles in the air just like absorb to its surface. And so over time, it's gaining like micrograms, which is like nothing, but it adds up. Well, when it's got to be as you know exact as the official leader, I guess micrograms really do kind of add up. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. Hey, man, why don't they just store it in a vacuum? Why don't they just do that? After the first time it gained weight, they should be like, "Oh, let's just store it in a vacuum now." But because after the first time it gained weight, it was already too late, right? Well, but it's been gaining weight for fifty or hundred years. So after the first time they measured it five years in, they should have been like, "Yeah, this is we should we should just like store it in a vacuum. That would solve this problem." Yeah, I guess. I, I just I think that you know when it has to be as exact as it has to be, then any any growth equals problem. Yeah, that's right. That's true. So. Uh, with that, we get to the end of our show. If you have anything to to tell us,、um, if you got suggestions, questions, corrections, you can always email us at emails at yetanothersciencesshow dot com. And if you're in the U.S., you can call us and leave a voicemail at seven seven four three zero zero Y A S S, which is nine two seven seven. You can and should also follow us on Twitter at Y A S S Podcast. And definitely try like us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash/yetanotherscienceshow. All this information and more can be found at our website at yetanotherscienceshow.com. Oh, and while we're at it, next time we'll be talking about magnetic monopoles, and I have no idea what those are. How's <laughs> about you, Arad?、Uh, I've heard of them, and I guess by next time we will know everything about them, right, Jess? <laughs> I'm optimistic. It'll be good. If anyone has any questions and stuff, don't be shy to ask us in advance so we can address them. 
And uh, thank you for listening, everybody. From Cambridge, Massachusetts, I'm Orad. And from Montreal, I'm Jesse. See you next time. Thank you.